This is episode number one with Billy Contreras. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome. I'm really stoked to bring this first episode of the Creative Strings podcast to you. We put a lot of time into the production, giving you a glimpse into this brilliant mind of Billy Contreras and how he thinks about music, how he got into it, mixed with hearing just tons of great clips of him playing amazingly creative music on his fiddle. We presented this interview live at the 13th Annual Creative Strings Workshop, an intensive week-long program for musicians, especially creative string players, uh, we tend to have a lot of adults. We had players from seven countries this year. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, my friends at the Electric Violin Shop. If you go to electricviolinshop.com, the great thing about the Electric Violin Shop is that they, they post their phone number right there. You can give them a call and literally any question you have about gear, about electric string instruments, amplification needs, effects, anything related to this whatsoever, they're really the best. So please check them out. Go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings. And that way you'll let them know that I sent you and you'll even get a special discount. And with that, let's get into this episode with Billy Contreras live from the 2014 Creative Strings Workshop. here on the uh, Creative Strings podcast with Billy Contreras. Billy, you know, it's no secret that you've been a huge influence on me ever since I met you in like 2000. We started jamming together and hanging out together. Uh, shortly after that, we made a record together, Jazz Fiddle Revolution, which a lot of people have uh, passed around, you know, and it was, it was an eye-opener to me because you treat the instrument like a harmonic instrument. Like to, in my mind, like you play the violin the way that a piano player approaches a piano. And you would always be able to cover the bass lines in tunes, all the chord voicings of tunes, you know, all the parts on the violin. And even to be able to play the entire form of a song as you just did for us right now, totally as a soloist. So that was like an eye opener for me. It showed me like a whole new direction that I could pursue, like to have a goal to be able to so completely, you know, represent all the aspects of the music just on the violin. So I feel like you've paved the way for so many of us. You've set the standard in so many different ways as a violin player. How did you start 
learning to play the violin? When did you start, and, and what was the method, or what were the circumstances that you started learning? Well, um, my family, we moved to Tennessee when I was five, and CMT, this uh, country music television, was a big thing down there. So I watched that a lot, and I saw Charlie Daniels playing, you know, double went down. Well, actually, I think South Skin dude was getting this song with his, there's like sparks coming out of the bridge. And I thought it was cool, and... Um, then we happened to go to a fiddle contest that weekend in our in Franklin, where I live, and I thought it was awesome. And they told me to take uh, Suzuki, so I took Suzuki. So I graduated out of my tissue box with the GI Joe in it. Wait, wait, can you elaborate on the tissue box with the GI Joe? I think if you learn your fretboard well or whatever the, you know, the ruler you put on there, you basically get to open the tissue box after you learn the fiddle and um, get your GI Joe or whatever. But yeah, Suzuki was all right, but I was really more interested in fiddling. So how long did you do Suzuki? For like a year or something like that? I think I got to like maybe about halfway through book one, so maybe two, three, maybe about three months, three, four, five months. You started age five or age six or? Uh, six. Okay. thing was my mom was like you're gonna take buck dancing she didn't want me to play the fiddle show me to be a buck dancer uh, what's and that a buck dancer it's like man it's really weird though like i feel like it's good because i have such a hard time remembering things buck dancing always reminds me if i want to play jazz i gotta think this rhythm or if i want to play you know fiddle tunes i gotta think that rhythm too which is to me really interesting yeah, I basically just buck danced for the first couple of years while I fiddled. But mainly I saw Charlie Daniels and I was lucky enough to get to play with him at this show last November. It was really fun. I really appreciate everything about him. He's really uh, kind of, you know, came on stage, made what he wanted to happen happen in a really you know, respectful way. I went out there and we traded back and forth, you know, on this tune he was playing which was really fun. I met him before I played his rodeo when I was a kid. Yeah, that was the original reason.
So you did Suzuki, then you did, we're doing buck dancing, but you're also uh, learning fiddle while you're doing buck dancing. Yeah, I learned fiddle from this fiddle teacher and he would like tell me the stories of the tunes and I found that very interesting because I was like into like history and stuff too. So the stories behind the tunes were very interesting to me. Yeah, he was a really great teacher. I find a good fiddle teacher like out in the woods that also teaches really good um, technique from the beginning. And his fiddle teaching um, was very solid and you could see it in all the students. Jim Wood. And then, so you studied with him until you were like about eight or something like that? About probably a year and a half or something. And then is that when you started working with Buddy Spiker? Well, I met Buddy. I started when I was six. I met Buddy when I was eight at a TNT taping. And I still have all those tapes of all those lessons. With um, Buddy. If you can get through uh, my mom yelling at me and my brother trying to tell me what to do all the time, like there's some good advice, you know, back there. Cause they would always, I was so young, they'd come to my lessons with me and my brother played guitar. So um, the tapes are real funny to listen to. So when you were working with Buddy, eventually you were doing a bunch of twin fiddle stuff with him too, right? Yeah, yeah. And that would be like, you guys would each be playing one or two voices? Yeah, basically each playing two voices. You know, I'm not exactly sure where Buddy got that from, you know, cause Dale Potter, his hero, um, he started playing stuff like, you know, stuff like that because like he was in Missouri and he was just listening on the radio and he thought it was just one guy playing all this stuff and you know, Bob Wills band or whatever. So he started playing stuff like that. So that's where Buddy started playing those triple stops. And you know, uh, harmony was so common back in the old country music fiddling, you know, just double harmony, just one and one or maybe two and one like Buddy would do or Dale would do. I think I, I think I saw you played with uh, with Buddy when you were like about 13 though in yeah. Nashville and you guys were doing a bunch of that yeah. four voices stuff like two voices on each fiddle. Yeah. So how do you think about that? Do you is it a lot of parallel harmonies or is there is it easy to describe like how you approach a tune to come up with voices or is that really complicated? Man, I think it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to come up with something on the moment, it's easiest for one person to play the melody. And then the other person to either grab both parts above 
or be low, um, or maybe on both sides. The person playing the melody has to really lead you well. But, um, but as far as four part, one person can basically grab the melody with a sixth or seventh on the bottom. Another person can play the inside voices of that chord, whatever they're on, you know, and pretty much grab seconds or sometimes thirds and say out each other's ways. But what I've really found is like, that's really effective on a short-term basis. Really didn't do as much as um, lately, the arrangements Buddy's been doing, been way more dynamic, switching up the type of voicings all the time. And it's, uh, I think it's really effective, cause especially because we're doing stuff with like bass and guitar. <laughs> think that doing like these these twin fiddle arrangements where you had to be constantly harmonizing everything you played when you were so young do you think that contributed to your kind of your harmonic understanding and the way that you approach things now definitely because um you're almost doing double you know if you're just thinking about one note related to the chord as opposed to thinking about two notes related to the chord all the time it's almost just like practicing the same amount twice but i think that that stuff is very challenging so it makes you know your instrument really well. You know, playing and Buddy, you know, Buddy likes to play stuff in weird keys. The last song we're working up is a tune he wrote in honor of Dale Potter, the guy that he learned a lot of stuff from in F sharp. It's cool, man. It's so cool. It's to me it's crazy, I don't know. the things you admire about Buddy? Mainly his ability to play music and never think about himself. You know, whenever he plays music, he's always thinking about, you know, how to help the people around him or make the people around him sound better. And I think that comes from him doing so many sessions, you know, where he's getting hired to back Elvis Presley or Ray Charles, Dean Martin, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Willie Nelson, The Who, you know, the Rolling Stones you know, Steve Miller, whoever, sound really good. And um, yeah, that's what I really admire about Buddy. To me, he's really always focused on the song, think about the lyrics, because he does a lot of, you know, the sessions with the lyrics. I don't know, and then I guess that he's, uh, he's real thoughtful about stuff. Over the last three, four weeks, I've probably been over there, you know, at least four or five days of the week. We're either like working on his house or just working up tunes on the fiddle. It just reminds me how long it takes to really uh, it, try and absorb concepts. Cause I'm trying to learn how to write like Buddy for four part stuff and string quartet stuff. It's like a lot of things I find you can't quite put your finger on. It's like you can listen to this thing over and over and over, but there's just something like evading you. Like I find that with Kenny Baker's Boeing and bluegrass music. But, but I find, you know, being around it all the time helps in some weird way. I think that's important. And, um, man, I'm glad I was able to do that with Buddy for so many years. We would just spend all week working up stuff. Would you identify yourself somewhere on that spectrum of like OCD and then 
You if mean so, like how? Or, I mean, I don't know. Has it affected your the way you learn music? Or like you mean in a musical style, like being attracted to lots of different musical styles? Or well, I don't know. For example, when I think of like obsessive compulsive, like somebody who could practice maybe endlessly, uh, or you know, I mean, was there times in your life when you just practiced a lot? Or man, I guess I would say. I'm someone that I can put a lot of energy into the same thing. So I think it's important what you put those energies into. So like when you're practicing, what are you really doing? That's why in, in that class earlier, you know, I was saying I got these things I'm always trying to think about. And then like three or four little tentacles off all of them. Where to me, if I'm not thinking about them all the time, I'm not getting some type of result I want because it's really important to me to see where you're headed. What do you want to go for, you know? So is that like a checklist in your mind? It's like a, it's like yeah, a, a I checklist find, like yeah. of values that you're like, these are things I always want to be aware of so that they automatically come into your music when you play, is that what you mean? Yeah. So what are those things? Okay, I think the, the first one is uh, tunes. Just learning tons of tunes and whatever style of music you're learning. And by doing that, as long as you do it by like records or tapes or CDs or MP3s, you increase your listening and your memory you know, because being an improviser, that's what it's about. How do you hear stuff and how do you remember things? You know, because, I mean, most gigs I do, I don't know half the music before I get up there. So I'm either having to anticipate things, which means I've had to hurt a lot of things to maybe know what's coming. But, yeah, so that's, that's the first thing, learning tunes, seeing how the shapes of phrases go, how, um, you know, melodies. <laughs> Second thing is to me learning licks, because that's what really attracted me to playing the fiddle was um, hearing cool stuff. You know, it's like walking by a fiddle contest and hearing some fiddle player going, you know, or something, you know, it's just like, I don't know, that was probably not cool, <laughs> but something that was cooler. And um, <laughs> that was like exciting, you know? And um, yeah, so to me, licks are a big part of it. And I can kind of compartmentalize them. Like, is it a melodic lick? Something that's real melodically driven or something that's more uh, rhythmically driven? The third thing is solos. And really, this is the main thing you need to think about. If you just think about solos, you'll get all this other stuff intuitively. You'll just find a problem when you begin to teach things. And it's really a good problem because it basically, from my experience, has made me be more honest with myself about things I need to work on and gotten me more serious about it and more realistic about it because you're um, drilling in fundamentals all day with you know, students, because um, that's what everybody needs to work on. Yeah, so learning solos, that's where you get everything, you know? The thing is, are you aware of what's going on? And are you willing to, after you spend all that hard time learning all that stuff and trying to even get it close 
and it doesn't even sound close because you're not using the same dynamics and articulations and inflections and vibrato as a soloist, which is really confusing. Like, are you willing then just to start to learn from it? But anyway, so yeah, learning solos, that kind of gets you through everything, but it helps me to be aware of the things I'm looking for. So after that would be um, thinking about melodies. I mean, that's basically everything, right? It's like the melody you create, which encompasses all the musical things. So having a really kind of active imagination that you can control, kind of, you know, like, cause you have to create things, but you have to have control over them. Having control over the melody, which for me starts from like, what are you feeling? Are you feeling anger or danger or happiness or sadness? It's like, what kind of melody are you gonna create? And that has to do with the type of tune you're playing. But a big part of that to me is intervals. You know, how do intervals make you feel? Do they make you feel like tense or all right or like happy? And what I like to do is kind of, again, categorize. Like I really like um, the first phrase of Back Home in Indiana. I don't know, I just like that melody. There's something about it, the way it goes rhythmically, intervallically, and lays against the changes. So I play it, you know, I, like I'll practice that melody playing solos until I get it. Or I like the melody of Sally Gooden. So I'll use that in solos until I get it. But anyways, you know, developing melodies that you have on call that you like that are internalized, which is based on, you know, the type of emotion you want to feel and what kind of story you're trying to tell. Yeah, so there's basically um, tunes and um, licks and uh, solos, harmony and rhythm, feel, phrasing, development, composition, no, sorry, arrangement and composition. But someone asked about phrasing, because you talked about phrasing earlier in yeah. your class at, here at the Creative Strings Workshop. Do you want to elaborate what we were talking about in your class earlier about phrasing? I kind of break it down to like being able to play, you know, the same way you think about ideas or like playing short ideas, medium ideas or big ideas or whatever. And um, so I, I divide them into one bar, two bar, four bar and eight bar trying to play ideas in there that create and subside. And then what I add on to that, what I've noticed in a lot of my favorite players and uh, composers is they have this element of theme and variation constantly, or call and answer, stuff like that. I call it A-B, you know, this and that balance, that's just constant. You know, to me, it almost creates like this interest. Thank <laughs> you. 
I noticed with my favorite players was they're playing the hottest licks that like with the most newest ideas constantly in a certain way. And then those like what I was, you know, when I was hearing listening to culture, it really reminded me to think about those larger structures. So um, we were talking about this earlier, like a four bar phrase that's kind of um, middle center, four bar phrase that goes up, four bar phrase middle center and four bar that goes down. That's the A section. So 16 bar with four phrases that have different shapes, you know, and on different parts of the scale or whatever to resolve it or create tension. And then the B part, which is different somehow, which is still 16 bars, but divided into four phrases that are four bars each and um, follow the same shape, you know, but different melodically maybe, or however you want to build that structure. But it's a much larger structure, especially like on a modal form or stuff like that. It also sticks with just that natural feel of all folk music, basically, in you know, that binary form. Going back to the connection between fiddle music and jazz, you touched on it because you talked about this this rhythm that's the yeah. same that you hear. Yeah. I mean, can you explain that a little more? I mean, you really hear the same fiddle rhythm when you when you play jazz? Man, I do because when I hear the drummer, he's constantly going like this. And the same in fiddling, you know, it's like that that shuffle rhythm, which is the same in, um, you know, blues stuff, some R&B stuff, some gospel stuff. A lot of bluegrass stuff has that kind of shuffle, you know, boogie-woogie stuff. I don't know, to me, that's kind of that swing thing. And it's prevalent in all those, a lot of um, country and... Um, but yeah, I do, because like when I grew up playing fiddle tunes, that's how I learned to play them. You know, like. That's how Buddy plays them. And, um, you know, because growing up buck dancing, that's the same type of rhythm. When you're, like, buck dancing, you go, like, ding, ding, get ding, ding, get ding, with these, like, taps on. I think. I don't know. I don't want to quit it because I'm not a good buck dancer. But it's basically the same thing, which is really interesting to me. classical music what's your attitude or what's your feeling about playing classical music I'm just trying to learn about it because I don't know much about it I studied it a couple years when I was a teenager really learned a lot about it in certain ways but not in ways that I'm trying to now which is more about the form and about the development which I find to, really so you're trying interesting. to study the composition of now yeah that part what about, of it. what about playing classical music oh well man it got me using a shoulder rest taken from Rachel Barden I did never use a shoulder rest for then. Man, you're just doing the stuff she'd have me do, you know, gain facility and um, really taught me about the shape I'm trying to aim for when I'm playing fiddle in general. 
like just bodily wise, trying to stay relaxed and keep curved in lots of places. But to me, that's always a goal I'm working on how I can uh, try and stay relaxed when I'm playing stuff for whatever reasons, you know, if it's hard or How do you practice? What's your practice style? Well, I'm trying to get more disciplined about it. I want to start creating like a more like hour regimen two or three times a day. But right now it's more just like when I really hear stuff that I think is super cool. Like stuff like... Uh... Something like that. It's like when I hear it, I'm like, man, that's cool. I want to learn it. So then I just listen to that so I learn it. And then that's basically it. to it so you when you practice you just listen basically i go down to the record shop and i go in the use section and i pick out mm, 12 15 records take them home listen to them there's stuff i want to learn on them zone in on that and there's stuff i really want to learn then learn all of it and if but there's stuff just... i really want to learn just the whole track every instrument because that teaches you so much the interrelationship of the drums to the bass the guitar how they're filling up these bigger phrases rhythmically. But you don't actually yeah. put it on the instrument. You just listen to it and you memorize it. I'm just trying to clarify that you're saying that when you practice, it's just listening and memorizing and focusing. It's not actually necessarily playing an instrument. Depends how hard it is. If I know I can get in a couple of minutes, I'll just get my fiddle. But if it's some sunny stit solo, I'll just listen to it a hundred times and then like try and play it after I really know the phrase as well and like really important riffs, stuff that's catchy, and understand it, maybe not that many times, but a lot of times. Something we were talking about earlier, you know, the more you listen to something before you sit down to learn it, the easier it is. But... Wow. Then that would be the first one, right? Ionian. So then you want to go on the Dorian. So what are your other passions besides music or fiddle? Man, learning about piano chord comping behind jazz solists and um, hearing how uh, Elvin Jones phrases over the bar line. Trying to find individual voices that I like that I can emulate. Like to me, my two favorite are Joe Henderson and Charles Lloyd in jazz. Cause they both to me speak so much when they play. It's like, there's just something. Um, so I, you know, listen to them a lot. And What about outside of music? Do you have any other passions? Yeah, I guess I like, uh, we got an acre garden at our house. So I like um, planting some broccoli, some cabbage. 
Yeah, and then um, me and my wife have horses, and um, that's pretty fun too. But I guess that's about it. And then I like canoeing a lot, like hiking a lot. I guess that's about it, like hanging out with my family. Billy, let me ask you uh, really quick uh, yeah. one other question. Yeah. You've been doing the Creative Strings Workshop now for 11 years with me, right? So is, is there any reason you keep coming back every year? Is there anything you'd say that you that you like about the camp or anything Man, you I want like me to the, fix? I about? like the freedom of the spirit it allows. Like, it's really, um, you know, it's a non-judgmental camp. It's very accepting. If you want to go to this class, if you want to go to this performance, if you want to go to bed, if you don't want to go to bed. It's really whatever you get out of it, which is really nice. And that's what I like about it. And um, yeah, I'm just always amazed at um, all the campers every year, just man, trying to soak up stuff to learn. Developing as a teacher a lot in the last few years. Def trying you've been to, you've been yeah. teaching at Belmont. Do you enjoy teaching? Oh, I love it. Yeah. You love it? Yeah, it's so fun. Man, because like not having a teacher when you get older, teaching like is your teacher. You know, because working with other people, it's like you find out, you know, what you need to work on real fast. It's really a lot easier to be honest with someone else's, you know, musical needs than yourself sometimes. So I find that very helpful. And if you have lots of students, then you're dealing with lots of the same similar things. And uh, I've really, I couldn't stay focused on music without teaching most of the year. I pretty much teach all the year except the summer. And like, I really don't enjoy it, man, the weeks I gotta go without teaching. Cause I only teach on Monday and Tuesday, but it's enough thinking about the same basic things in different ways, you know, to keep me going for the week. And then I get back there next Monday and Tuesday and it's like, yeah, I really, I really like it. One more hand for Billy. So that's it. That's a wrap for the first episode of the Creative Strings podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. Hope you found it inspiring and feel free to share it, like it, tweet it, all that jazz. And look for links at christianhouse.com to different things that were referenced in the podcast. Now we broadcast live from the Creative Strings Workshop. You can join Billy and me and a bunch of really passionate musicians uh, next year if you like or every summer in Columbus, Ohio. Usually it's the first week of July. We'll have a link to that as well. And with that, I just want to give a final thanks to our sponsors at the Electric Violin Shop. Remember that if you go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings, they've got a uh, special discount there for you. And please let them know that I sent you. Stay tuned and look out for more episodes coming soon of Creative Strings Podcast. And thanks so much for listening.